Let's open up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. My wife's giving me Morse code. Oh, yeah. Sister Lucille, if everybody knows Sister Lucille, it was her 90th birthday today. And they had a surprise party for her. We went out to Jersey this morning and uh, we spent some time with her. She actually looks really good, 90 years old. Nine children, or nine women and two, two boys? Nine children. 150 grandchildren. No, it, it was marked. Really amazing. They were a great family. It was nice to spend time with them this morning. But here we are. Second Timothy, I'm going to read verses 1 to 7 and make some comments. <coughs> Paul says this to a man, a young man named Timothy. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this was the appointment. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am, I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God. We thank you that we know in this room there's generally only one mediator between us and the creator of the universe. And that's your only begotten son, the man, Christ Jesus. Divine and human. Interceding for us through his blood on the cross and his intercession right, right now at the right hand of God. We thank you, O oh God, that we generally know what the truth is. The truth is no longer a mystery to the Christian. You have given us the legacy of scripture. We know what life is all about. We are not roaming around in the darkness anymore. We truly know that we were created in your image to worship you and to adore you, but we fell into sin. And through the intercessory work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you brought us close to you again, and we shout hallelujah. We thank you. Our soul thanks you, Father God. We thank you that we feel your presence, that our sins are forgiven, Father God, and now we have peace, joy, and hope in this world and the world to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Memorial Day, special day, days Americans we spend some time honoring all those who served in the armed forces. We usually a special recognition to those who lost their lives for the country's freedom. It's a solemn time of reflection for those who have served, who had loved ones who served, or loved ones who were wounded, or loved ones who died. It's a reminder that freedom is not really free. That freedom is costly. And a constant reminder that there are still an evil forces in the world today looking to take those freedoms away. On June 6, 1944, a day we now know as D-Day, the invasion of Normandy, France by Allied forces was the beginning of the turning of the tide 
of the war, World War II, back to Allied forces. But it was costly. The invasion was in planning for almost two years, made up of mainly American, Canadian, and British troops. There were five beaches on Normandy, which the German forces had occupied and were dug in deep. They were ready for battle. They were heavily fortified. There was a wall 250 miles long, heavily bunkered, over tens of thousands of German troops. This was a must-win for Allied forces. A beachhead was needed for a more fuller invasion of France and Europe. When the time came in the end, amphibious forces coming to secure the beachhead opened up. Most of the young men died before they even landed on the shore. Before firing one shot, in the first two hours, over 10,000 people were wounded. Over 4,400 people died in the first two hours. Most never saw a battle before or even had a chance to shoot their weapons once. Young men who were inexperienced at war, yet, they, yet the battle could never have been won without their sacrifice. These are the unsung heroes, many over the course of America's history, who lost their lives for the cause, for freedom. A freedom that's worth defending, and yes, a freedom that's even worth dying for. Memorial Day. Doesn't seem excited to go to war. Doesn't seem excited to lay down your life without shooting one shot. Total uncertainty. World War II. Nothing was guaranteed. But it had to be done. So it is with our young man tonight, Timothy. Paul calls Timothy to pray. That's an unforgotten weapon. Prayer seems so unexciting. Prayer seems like, well, who really cares? Does prayer really matter? Does prayer genuinely change things? Does my personal sacrifice in prayer really mean anything? My time I spend with God or with other believers in prayer, asking God to do incredible things, does it really change a thing? Should I sacrifice my life without shooting a bullet? Will it mean anything in the kingdom of God? As Americans, we like to, you know, this, this, this uh, cost-effective analysis. I'll do it, but what's in it for I got to hear. Well, I'll pray, but is God going to heal me? I'll pray. Is God going to make me rich? I'll pray. Is God going to make me happy? I'll pray, but what's in it for me? You see, we might not say that, but human nature does that, doesn't it? What's in it for me? These soldiers that went off to sure death even today, they're not saying what's in it for me. There's nothing in it but hardship. It's for the sake of everybody else. That's what a soldier does when he lays down his life for his country, for his commander-in-chief. We're going to find out tonight that laying down your life in prayer pleases God. The true commander-in-chief. 
And it's not about what you can get out of it, what I can get out of it. It has nothing. We follow orders. We pray. It pleases God. Well, like our soldiers on D-Day who lost their lives before they even shot a bullet. But there were great instruments in turning the tide in the European campaign. So was prayer in the Christian's fight against evil. Please never forget that. Prayer gets the attention of Almighty God. First Timothy is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the great weapon of God to bring peace to men. To bring that vertical relationship with God back into, into light again. Where men can get right with God through Jesus Christ. And then men can get right with one another. Through the love and mercy and forgiveness and grace that God has given us. We can now generally have genuine love and interpersonal relationships with all men. We're going to see that's in our text tonight. Pray for all men. Another thing we have to be careful of is we're cheap with our prayer because we don't want to pray for people that don't look like us, sound like us, act like us, or they they dress different, they smell different, they're from a different country, they speak a different language, and we don't want to pray for all men. We want Jesus to, to save my family, but maybe not a, another family. Paul is very quick to tell Timothy, all men. The six chapters of Timothy is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ and its advancement in the world. This is 2,000 years ago. In chapter 1, Paul charges this young man, Timothy, to go toe-to-toe against the false teachers and the heretics of his day for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the true message of Jesus Christ. It's not just about Jesus. Most of the Americans and most of the world say something about some kind of belief in Jesus Christ. That's not the problem. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. People don't understand salvation. People don't understand they need to be forgiven. Their sins are still against them. They need to find redemption and salvation in the man, Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom, as our text says. People going in and out of churches for most of their life, they've never heard the message. You need to be saved. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Chapter 3 is about the godly life expected from those who preach and teach the gospel. And pastors and elders and deacons who lead God's people. If they're going to be associated with Christ and his gospel, you have to live the life. In chapter 4, it's more personal. It's about Timothy's own life and his own doctrine. Watch yourself and your doctrine that you can secure the salvation of other people. Do not say one thing and live another. Chapter 5 is about the social relationships, the interpersonal relationships between us who profess Christ. If you're saved by the gospel, live like you are saved by the gospel. Chapter 6 is about the enemies of the gospel. Again, false teachers. And something he brings up, the hidden greed in the form of genuine faith. 
These are all the tangible ways of properly advancing the gospel message of salvation. People need to see a changed life. People need to see something different and tangible in the person that professes Christ and the message of salvation. It's tangible. You can see it. But in chapter 2, it's different. What we read tonight is not tangible. It's one of the hidden ways of advancing the gospel. There's nothing glorious about it from the outside perspective. Nothing tangibly noticeable is being seen. Like young soldiers going to assure death in a battle before even shooting their weapons, so is prayer for the gospel success. Surely the young men on D-Day would, be, would have liked being anywhere else enjoying life, but duty called. Freedom was on the attack, and so they answered that call to protect the innocent of the world from evil forces. Like war, the gospel of Christ that brings freedom to the soul calls for unflinching resoluteness, even in the, when it seems useless. Laying down one's life in prayer for the gospel to be successful is not glamorous, it is not pretty, it is not exciting, but ever so needed, as Paul explains here in our text. This is an element here that Timothy needs to know. Prayer for the gospel advancement pleases God. So many Christians lose sight of the big picture of Christianity. For most, Christianity is a felt-needs-religion. Most people go to church and come to Christ maybe for the first time because something's drastic in their life. And that's fine. God accepts us. He loves us. Praise God for it. He's healed the wound. He's here to heal the brokenhearted. But all of a sudden when we find this healing going on and we find this closeness with Christ and we find this sense of joy and this hope and this peace back in our life and all the burning fires in our life are now a little more settled, I can look up and say, well, this is much bigger than me. It's about prayer for all men. God's calling me now. He's calling me to lay down my life now in prayer. Brian, you mean just by myself to start praying for people? Yeah. Specifically, we're talking about corporate prayer here in the church. It pleases God. Do you ever hear that? It pleases God. There's only a couple times in the New Testament that's said. Here in this text, and the thanksgiving offering from our lips, the fruit of our lips, pleases God. Praise pleases God. And not just that, but specifically for political leaders in high positions. How do you feel about praying for some of our political leaders today? Really praying for them. How would you like to pray for Nero or Caligula? Or the Caesars and emperors of Rome. Because that's who they were writing to. You think America? You think this is a high calling for us? 
He's saying pray for those who persecute you. And love your enemies. We have to get close to Christ. A matter of fact, our prayer for people around us will actually teach us. will be a barometer. How close into Christ am I? How close to Christ am I? Prayer or the lack of prayer is an indication of spiritual life. Let's go to our text. Can we put that up there, Jackie? John Paul? Thank you. He says this to Timothy, a young man. First of all, then, that's how he starts it off. Paul is now going to talk about church life as it pertains to Christian worship in chapter 2. And the first priority in Christian worship is corporate prayer. Prayer is the Christian secret weapon. Prayer brings us close to God, heart to heart, eyeball to eyeball, tear to tear, burden to burden. The closer you get to God, the closer you feel the burden for all men, for God desires all men to be saved. And he desires all men to be saved so much that he gave his only begotten son to save men. It was no easy task. Prayer for all men, especially leadership, is the the Christian secret weapon. Communicating with God, his own heart and his own thoughts about men and about salvation that Christ brings. Paul urges Timothy to make this an important element in worship. And he uses these three words, these three words in prayer that he often uses, these supplications, prayers, and intercessions. They basically mean the same thing, this genuine heartfelt concern for others in life. And especially leaders of high rank. Paul knew that God in the Old Testament often moved favorably on leaders' hearts towards his people. Hopefully you remember your Old Testament. Hopefully you can remember how Abraham found favor in King Abimelech's eyes. Well, Moses eventually found favor with Pharaoh. Daniel found favor with Nebuchadnezzar. And the quintessential verse in the Old Testament is King Cyrus, a pagan king who led a host of captives free to go back and rebuild the temple. God moved, the Bible says, on Cyrus's heart. And Cyrus found favor with the, with the Israelites. Paul is not saying just pray for leadership out of nowhere. He draws heavily upon all his theology from the Old Testament. He doesn't ask. It's in the scriptures. He knows. To generally be concerned about the leaders in our life, the leaders, whether they be civil authorities or imperial authorities, those who govern the sphere of men, they need our prayers. The president of this country needs our prayers, whether we can agree or disagree makes no difference. If we are Christians, we are called to pray. There's a bigger purpose for the leadership of America. And it's not just praying. It's not just generally asking and bringing supplications and prayer requests for these people. And for all people. From every denomination, from every creed, every culture, every background, every language, every color. To pray for all people. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. Never ever to be kept just to our friends and close ones who look like us and are comfortable with us. Paul had to tell Timothy that because unfortunately Jewish Christians at the time still had a tough time bringing the gospel to Gentiles. They looked at Gentiles as less than. Paul gives a disclaimer. I was called an apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles. Make no mistake about it. God loves all people. That's something today we still have to learn. God loves all people. And not just to pray. Not just to intercede and supplicate. Not just to bring our heart for these people. But to do it with thanksgiving. He says pray with thanksgiving. You know what my breakthrough was for that with Thanksgiving? When I finally recognized that every human being is created in the image of God. It's a beautiful thing when you have this epiphany of heart. And all of a sudden you see a human being. You don't see the color of their skin. You don't see the way they're dressed, the way they smell. They're scheming, their sins. Sins are easy to see. A self-destructive life is easy to notice. But can you see beyond the ragged clothes? Can you see a man or a woman created in the image of God? How about a leader in America? Can you see beyond the, 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 the wealth? Can you see beyond the prominence? Can you see beyond... The pretension, can you see that they too are just people created in the image of God who need a savior? I shared Thursday night, I was on the train the other day going to the dentist. And I was having a really bad day. Migraine was killing me. I was miserable. And I, I can't stand loud noises. And I'm on the train and I'm sulking and my heart's uh, condemning me for a couple other things and so on and so forth. It's just a good ordinary day in the pastor's life. <laughs> and the door opens up and a couple of guys get on and they start singing. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> just like that. I said, I'm not into this. I am not. And they're singing and they're singing real good. Acapella. I sort of do up. I'm like, what? these guys are good. Three black brothers, man. Big, maybe 65 years old, man. I mean, they really had it going. And they, they were coming by, they're singing about Jesus. I'm telling you, it was like a sanctuary. And for the first time in my life, I got up and I started preaching on the train. Just like that. From being at one moment down in the dumps with a migraine, I mean, the, the place became a sanctuary. And I saw people created in the image of God. It was a supernatural thing. And... And then I got together and I prayed with them right there. And, you know, it's just God does these supernatural things sometimes to remind all of us, especially me, like, these are my, they're created in my image. This is not a mistake from a big bang or evolution. This is my handiwork. This is the highest work of everything I've ever done. I created man and woman in my image. We ought to pray with thanksgiving. 
When you see another human being, that's God's handy work. All presuppositions of what we might think or what we grew up with in our homes and the prejudices that are a learned behavior have to go. They have to go. There's no room for learned behavior like that. We have to see humanity absolutely, totally different the way God sees it. Men and women together created in the image of God. What an equalizer. This Christian man needed that. To pray with thanksgiving. To recognize all human beings as just created in the image of God. As lost sheep. Because that's how God sees them. Just like lost sheep. As he told Jonah the prophet... This great city doesn't know their left hand from their right. And to be grateful for government that was instituted in Genesis chapter 9. For the sake of governing sinful human beings. So that would not be anarchy everywhere. That one day. Even in the Mediterranean world, there was something called the Pax Romana. Understand something. Rome was a brutal dictator. But if you played by their rules, it wasn't a bad place to live. And it was under Roman rule that the Christ was born into this world. It says at the proper time. He was born into this world. And now the gospel can go forth throughout the whole Mediterranean world on the roads that Rome built to the cities that they bring peace to. They were still a brutal people. But yet Paul knew to pray for the leadership, for the sole service of preaching Christ to men and women created in the image of God. You know why he said that? There is no higher task. There is no higher job any man or woman could ever do but to tell another soul about the love of Jesus Christ. There is nothing. To be grateful for these leaders, to be grateful for government, grateful that there was law and order despite all its failures, to recognize that God has instituted government to rule the sphere of men. Even under the seasons, yes, with the likes of Nero's and Caligula's, we are still to pray for the peace of Jerusalem or pray for the peace of the city we're in, as Jeremiah is said. Seek the welfare of the city, God told Jeremiah. This is surely laying down your life in prayer. The Christian church is called to lay down their life in prayer and pray for the leaders of America. It's like going to a sure death sometimes. Does God really hear our prayers? But it's a hidden element here found in Luke. If you remember Luke 18, I'm not going to put it up. It's the parable of the persistent widow who continually prayed night and day under an unjust king who feared not man or feared not God. We are called to pray persistently 
And God will hear our prayers and God will do great things. Understand something you and me are here today because the gospel has advanced on the life of other people who laid down their life physically and spiritually in prayer. We might never ever lay down our life physically here in America. Maybe not for Christ. But we should lay down our life in prayer for God. This is the kind of prayer that honors God. It sees the big picture. It sees men and women lost as sheep created in his image. The reason Paul says this is that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Could you put the text back up? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly. And dignified in every way. Paul desires Timothy to pray for an orderly society. Where Christians can live and the gospel can be advanced. Only those who have a growing awareness of the kingdom can ever see and pray in this way. Only maturity can pray that. A mature Christian. It's difficult for American Christians to see the importance of this prayer. It's most unfortunate. If God asked you personally, take one hour out of your life a week and pray, what would you do? If God told you that, be careful, self-incriminating. Because the Bible tells us to do that. To join Christ in intercession prayer. We do it every Thursday night. We get together. The soldiers get together and we pray. It's not glamorous. It doesn't feel like anything's moving. It doesn't feel like anything's changing. But it makes no difference by what we see. It makes no difference by what we hear. We lay down our life because this is what pleases God. That is it. It pleases God. It pleases God. But we can also do it on our own. But it's also that Christians live a godly and holy life while we're here. See, these are twin virtues that characterize those that profess Christ and speak about his message. And, but this is not just about morals. It's about, you know, not sinning, not getting drunk, not womanizing, not cussing. This is talking about being respectful towards all people. No fight, no clamor, no argument. Living respectably with all human beings. It means to have a good reputation with the unbelieving world. The world should see Christians as changed human beings. I use this a lot. It's like going to an AA meeting. And they're talking about sobriety and no one's sober. It's like, it works because they work it. And the law of attractions are there. When someone needs help, they're there. They know what, so it is with Christianity. I'm not going to talk about God and live a life that doesn't know God. But this is only part of a bigger teaching that Paul gives. It's pulled about a simple devotion to Jesus Christ. We're not running around like the world trying to acquire things, trying to get things. We've, we've stepped back from the rat race and we live a simple, dignified, quiet life and we just worship God as our priority, not things of the world. 
It's not the cares of the world and the care and desire for other things anymore. All we care about is loving God and worshiping God and praying to God and reading our Bibles and singing our silly songs. The world thinks we've lost it, but really we've gained it. We've gained that peace that the world is looking for through Jesus Christ. We are to live this kind of life as we preach Christ and pray for others. The character must be consistent with the message of reconciliation, love and forgiveness. The ancient world was full of mystery religions that usually bordered on insurrection and undermining civil authorities. And that's the kind of name Christianity would get at the time. Critics of Christianity were railing against it. They had all these sorts of mysterious cult rites. They were stirring up trouble. Of course it wasn't true. But we have to make sure that we can stand under the scrutiny of an unbelieving world as the light of the world and the salt of the world that Jesus Christ calls us to. Paul wanted to make sure that Christianity was never here to undermine society, but to enhance it. Verse 3, Paul says this. He gives the highest motivation to this seemingly worthless endeavor of prayer. He knows it pleases God. Think about it. No one in this room should leave here tonight not praying more for other people and not praying for the government, not praying for those in high places. You can't. Pleases God. Pleases God. You don't have to spend hours and hours, but it should be part of your prayer life. Every church should do this. I'm glad to say we do it very faithfully in this church. In 10 years, we never missed a Thursday night except for a couple of snowstorms. We hear every Thursday night and for an hour we pray. Not just for our own personal needs, which is fine. We pray for our community, our first responders. We pray for the nation. We pray for the president. Whether we agree or not agree, it makes no difference. It's, it's not about us agreeing. It's not about our feelings. It's about what pleases God. He sees the big picture. Only God knows what's in a man's heart. We do not. We are called to pray, so we pray. We are God's mouth on this earth. We're like worm cam. We are on earth. We see the pain. I feel the pain of what American culture is going through. I can feel it. I can sense it. I carry the burden to God in prayer. And it pleases God because God desires all men. What he means is he desires all men, whether high positions of life or low positions of life or no positions of life, whether rich or poor, whether slave or free, whether master or not. He desires all men from every area of life to hear and be saved. God makes no distinction between people created in his image. Though Paul knew what the worst of man's heart was, nevertheless, he knew the grace of God to save the worst of men. Paul says in this very, to Timothy, that this is a trustworthy statement, that Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sinners, of which I was the worst. No one is outside the grasp of God. 
Not one human being is outside the grasp of Jesus Christ. Do we know that? But he also says this. Can we go to verse 4? And come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires that men come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul was hurt by the fact that people were lost. They were lost in ignorance, not just morals. They were lost in ignorance, spiritual ignorance, spiritual blindness. He was deeply concerned about they were following a lie, a lie that misguides people about God. When you miss it on the God thing, when you miss it on the God subject, you miss it on everything. Sooner or later, life starts to unravel and fall apart. If you miss it on God, he is the truth, the life, and the way. If you miss it on that, you missed it. You can have it all. You can have the greatest job, the greatest family. People love you. You love them. But if you miss it on God, you've missed it. He wants people to have that quality of life that only Christ can give. A quality I searched for and didn't find it until Jesus came and rescued me from myself. And I'll tell you why. He gives it to you in verse 5. He qualifies it in verse 5. For there is one God. Listen. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. For Paul and for the prophets of the Old Testament. The problem with the world was idolatry. It was polytheism. It was many gods saying many things. And all these many gods were saying many things. Were saying many wrong things. And leading men astray. And once you miss it on God, the wounds of life come. Faulty lives would naturally follow such misunderstandings of the one true God. I don't want you to miss this. So when we're praying for people, it's not just about they need to get saved. They need to be enlightened and finally know what life is all about. One True God. Period. From that starts a whole new life. Not just here, but for eternity. And not just the one true God. There's not many gods saying many things to many people. And it all works somehow. No. Paul has to say the one true God. Well, the one God in this text, he uses true in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Please don't miss this. And you can say, okay, I believe in the one true God. I believe in, I believe in Jehovah God. How do I get to him? Is it the law of Moses? Do I go back to the temple? Do I go to Judaism? Is it the high priest that brings me? No, it's the mediator between God and men. Someone can say, I believe in one God. Islam believes there's one God. But they don't believe in the mediator between us and the one God. 
still miss it. You can still be believe in one God. But it doesn't mean you're going to have him. There's one mediator between men who have fallen into sin and have no understanding of God. In the world, as Paul says in Ephesians, in the world without God and without hope. Because when you have God, every hope is just a false hope. It's delusional. What good is knowing is one true God? If not known, he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore because of Jesus Christ. That's why a mediator is there. That's his intercessory work at Calvary, on the cross, dying for us. Also at the right hand of God now, praying for us. So when I pray for all men in all positions, in all places, I'm not praying alone. At the right hand of God right now is a man in a human body standing right before God the Father's throne, praying with us for all men to be saved. That's why he prefaces the man, Christ Jesus, the divine man. Christ Jesus. Fully God, fully man. God, it pleases God to pray for all men to come to the knowledge of the one true God and the way to that one true God through the work of the man, Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's why we pray. And it's worth praying for. It's worth starting to learn how to pray. The disciples had to say, teach us how to pray. Listen, you can hear the sermon, it's going to touch your heart. I know that, because that's the Holy Spirit does that. But still here, you have to say, Pastor, teach us how to pray. What did Jesus do? He prayed. So he said, basically, come, show, I'll show you how to pray. I do it all the time. There's no secret here. Show up and pray. Sit there and be quiet for one night. Sit there and be quiet for a month. Sit there and be quiet for three months. And listen to how others have prayed. And how God has taught us to pray. And hear the heart of God coming out in prayer for all men of any position. With no prejudice. No judgment. No self-righteousness. Just praying for men with thanksgiving who were created in the image of God. And now here we are in America. We have the freedom to come together and pray. That might be taken away from us one day. This was the message Paul was called to preach as an apostle. He was a forerunner. You know apostle means forerunner? Or maybe he was on the first wave in the battlefield. Paul basically single-handedly went into the whole Mediterranean world and preached Christ. And they beat him up from one city to the other. Galatians chapter 6 says, listen, I wear the scars of Jesus on my body. Paul stormed spiritual Normandy on behalf of people because it pleased God. This is our message today. A message that should call for all our attention. 
our energy, to live and pray in a way that pleases God. For God to look down into his church, for God to look down to his children who are on a park bench and I got a thousand things in my life I could be praying for. I could be praying for a lot of things. But I'll choose to pray for others' salvation. I'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God knows what we need. That doesn't mean we don't bring our prayers and our requests to God. Of course not. Paul teaches that in Philippians. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Make a request, uh, Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for us. Of course we do. But as we grow, we start seeing a much bigger, broader picture of who God is. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for who we are today. I thank you that we live in this wonderful, great land of America, Father God, that was founded first and foremost, Father God, because men and women wanted to worship you in freedom. And they traveled on their little boats over here, Father God, to come along these shores and set a new community up, Father God. Pilgrims carrying the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their first work, Father God, was to convert the native Indians. And for many of them, they did a great job. And for others, they lost their life, Father. And here we are several hundred years later, Father God. And here we are with the freedom to worship, the freedom to pray. All because others throughout the course of human history have laid down their life for you because it pleases you. Father God, I thank you for all the men and the women of the armed forces, Father God, who will lay down their life for other people, Father God. I thank you for the president, the vice president. I thank you for his cabinet, Father God. I thank you for the local leaders, Father God, here in Bay Ridge, in Brooklyn, in New York, Father God. Help us, Father God, that we would live a dignified, a simple life, not insurrectionists, not starting trouble, but Father God, living a life that pleases you, Father God, that's consistent with the gospel message of love, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Help us in this endeavor, in Jesus' name.